I'm excited about the series uh, that, that we are launching this morning uh, called Passionate Christianity. I think it's going to be a fun one for us. Uh, but it's going to be a great summer. I really, really am excited to be back. But I thought this morning I wanted to start out and take just a couple minutes, and I want to talk about our mission as a church, kind of the, the why behind all these ministries we do. You know, kind of why, why do the Faith in Action Sunday? Why do the kids outreach? Wouldn't it be easier and simpler to, to, uh, to just kind of do our own thing? Uh, even why do we do setup every week? Why do we meet together every week? And so I thought, you know, let's take a, just a couple minutes, and I want to hit our, our, our mission, and there's a purpose to this, so stick, stick with me. But I want to hit our mission as a church, and really it's, it goes beyond our own mission. It's really the mission um, uh, of the church universal. It's, it's uh, the purpose behind uh, in what God has called us to be. And so uh, if you've been around a while, maybe you've heard us talk about this before. Maybe you've noticed it uh, on one of the banners out in the lobby. Maybe you're newer, newer to Ignite, and uh, you're like, man, I've never heard this before. Whatever it is, I just want to focus in for just a second on why do we exist? Why do we do what we do? There's really three things. There's three uh, kind of driving forces behind our mission. And the first one is this. The first one, uh, we, we kind of do a, it's a 3D kind of thing, right? It's, it's a, uh, they all begin with the letter D. So it's discovery. We as a church are all about helping people discover new life in Christ. We're about doing everything we can possibly do to help people connect with Jesus. We're about pointing people to him. We're about sharing our faith uh, with, with those around us so that they can help, they can hear about him and move towards him. We're about building relationship with people that are far from him and, and you know, pointing the way back home. If we're not doing that as a church, if we're not living that out as individuals, then I'm not sure we're doing this whole following Jesus thing right. We're missing out. We're not living as we should. One of the things we've talked about uh, ever since the beginning is, you know, if we grow to a, to be a church of 500 or 1,000 people one day, but, we, but we've gotten those people primarily stealing them from other churches because they like Ignite better than their own church, then we have failed right? You can grow big as a church, but if we're not living out this part of the mission, if we're not helping people meet Jesus and discover new life in Christ, then we're missing it. Then we're not doing it right. We can't take this part out of the mission. It's one of the reasons we had a baptism service um, the last Sunday I was here, right? It's one of the reasons we get so jacked up about baptism around here, right? We, we get excited about that and we clap and we celebrate because you get to hear stories about how Christ is rescuing people, right? About how, how people are discovering new life in Christ. And as, as we as the church get a chance to live that out, man, it's exciting. There's nothing better to, than to hear about Jesus rescuing people. And so we love that. We celebrate that. It, it's also part Part of the reason that we have the church planting bug around here, where we want to help start more and more and more churches around the region, uh, small to medium-sized churches. It's because statistically, churches that are under 10 years of age and below 250 people are the most effective way to help reach people for Jesus. Did you know that? They're the most evangelistically effective thing on the planet. In fact, they're more than 1,200% more effective at reaching people for Christ than megachurches, which is not something that you hear every day, but it's, it's amazing. So we have said, we've kind of gone all in with this philosophy and said, you know, our heart is really to start, we'd rather start 10 churches of 100 than start one church of 1,000. Because that's, we believe that's where the good stuff happens, where there can still be relationship, where the gospel gets to permeate our lives, where people get to, you know, get up close and personal to, to, uh, to others, and they, they get lit up for Christ. They discover new life in Jesus. 
It's what we're about. It's, it's why we're doing Summer Blast. We think we can be effective at helping to reach some of the kids in our region for Jesus, help them discover new life in Christ. It could change, I mean, it could change their entire life for the re- every day for the rest of their lives. It's amazing. It's, why, it's part of why we're doing uh, the Faith in Action Sunday, right? Helping people discover new life in Christ. Everybody say discover, right? That's the first thing. Second, kind of piece to our mission, kind of what we feel like God has called us to do has to do with develop, developing passionate followers of Jesus. We don't want to just help them take the first step in the kingdom. We don't don't want them to just become a Christian. We want to see them develop into passionate disciples of Jesus, right? Where they are all in. We want to see people grow and discover and become more of who God made them to be. We want to help people discover the spiritual gifts that God has put inside of them and has the ways that he has uniquely designed them for his purposes in this life. We want to help them to you know, kind of step into purpose and new life. We want to see them filled with God's love. We want to see their lives transformed and their marriages and their homes and their kids changed for generations. We want to see spiritual leaders raised up. Right? We just see passionate Christ followers, disciples, people that, not, that, that don't only know what the Bible says, but are actually living out, living in God's kingdom day after day. They're living this stuff out in the real world. Man, I'm telling you what, if we do that, if we really develop, man, there is no telling what God might do. If we really develop into passionate disciples, passionate followers of Jesus, I'm telling you what, God will use you in amazing ways as our lives start to get aligned with him. Never know what he's going to do. So we're about, right, helping people discover new life in Jesus, developing into passionate followers of Jesus. And the third one is this, is to deploy. Say deploy, by the way. Okay, that was lame. Say deploy. Deploy, right? Discover, develop, deploy. We're about deploying people, helping people be released back out into their lives, back out into the world to make a difference for Jesus, to live for him there. We, we really believe that it starts in the Bible, but it's true in our lives too. We really believe that disciples or followers of Jesus always become apostles, which, are, which means sent ones, right? Disciples get sent out. What that means practically is that as you and I grow up in Christ, as we become passionate, spirit-empowered followers of Jesus, he will send you out and use you to make a difference in your world, in your home, in your relationships, in your workplace, everywhere you go. He wants to use you to be a priest or a pastor or a missionary, maybe not in some official way, but maybe. But he wants to use you that way wherever you're at. He wants to use you that way in your workplace. He wants to use you that way in your neighborhood and in your home and wherever you go. He wants to to shine through you. You believe that? We believe God wants to do amazing things in you and through you. We're not talking about becoming super churchy or weird or anything like that. But we're talking about living on mission as being somebody that is so filled with the love of Christ, so transformed and filled by him that they sort of radiate Jesus wherever they go. And those around them begin to see Christ and begin to respond. I remember... uh, reading a book one time called Influence, and it had flu in the middle, and they were talking about how Christianity has always spread like wildfire, the real thing, as we are filled and transformed by Christ, that it can't help but be infectious and contagious to those around us, right? It Discover, de- develop, and then eventually it, it, it always leads to deployment. 
So that's kind of who we are. That's what we are about as a church. It's why we do what we do. Everybody repeat after me. Discover. Discover. Helping people discover new life in Christ. Develop. Develop. Right? Develop into passionate followers of Jesus and deploy. Deploy. Deploy to impact our world. It's who we are. It's why we do what we do. It's why we do setup week after week after week when it would be easier not to. Right? It's, why we, it's why we meet together. It's why we started another campus on our first anniversary. Right? It's why we do what we do. It's why we're here. It's why I get out of bed in the morning. It's what all of us are called to be. And it's not something, I mean, the language may be slightly unique to Ignite, but the heart of this comes straight from Scripture. It's what all of us as Christ followers are called to. Look with me uh, real quick at Matthew 28. It's called the Great Commission. It's Jesus sort of standing orders and final words that he gives to his followers and therefore gives to us. He says this, Matthew 28. And Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, which by the way, sounds like deploy. He says, go and make disciples, which sounds like develop, of all nations. Right? Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Did you hear it? He says, go. He says, deploy. Go impact your world. Go and tell people about me. Share the gospel. Help them to to discover new life in Christ and to develop into disciples, into passionate, obedient followers of Jesus. Friends, God's desire for every person in this room and every person on the planet is that they, is that they you and I, would kind of embrace this mission and live out our lives to become disciples of Jesus. Disciples of Jesus. Notice that God's plan isn't for us to just to become Christians or just church attenders or not good or nice people, quote, quote. That, his plan is so much bigger than that. His plan is that you and I would become disciples. Now, to be honest, when we start using terms like disciples, that's not a term that gets used a lot in our culture, right? At least, it, maybe not in accurate kind of ways anyways. But, <clears throat> and so I want to kind of zoom in on that for just a second. But let me ask the question first. When you hear the word disciple, what comes to mind for you? What, what does that mean? What does that language mean? Like, how would I know if I am one? Okay, so why don't you take just a second, turn to a person or two or three around you and, and talk about what are some of the things that come to mind when you hear the term disciple? What does that mean? Go ahead. It's okay to talk in church. Take 30 seconds. What's a disciple? All right, let's bring it back together. What would you, you guys share? What would you come up with? How would you define disciple? What comes to mind for you? How would you know if you are one kind of stuff? What's that? Telling others about Jesus. Good. What else? Willing to leave everything behind. Great. What else? Charity. Charity. Yep. Knocking on doors. Okay, spreading the word. Okay. What else? Anything else? Good. We're going to be talking about this actually for the next six weeks, and uh, I've done a ton of thinking, I've done a ton of study on this over the last couple of decades. And as I look through Scripture, as well as when I think of those people in in my life that have that 
that come to mind for me when I think of disciples, I really think it all comes down to passion, okay? And actually, I, I think it all comes down to actually six passions, and we're going to be talking about this. But I think a disciple is a person of passion, a person that is passionate about Jesus, that is passionate about pursuing him and worshiping him and having him be glorified in their lives, a person that's, that's passionate about becoming like Jesus and being transformed and aligning their lives more and more with, with his will for their lives. They're not just about playing some game or looking good on the outside or trying to be churchy or something. They really want to become like Jesus. I think a disciple is somebody that's passionate about reaching those that are far from God, about seeing them come to know Jesus and discover new life in Christ. I think there are people that are passionate about serving and using their gifts and talents and abilities in ways that build up the local church and build up the kingdom of God. I think these are people that are all in, right? In terms of growing, they, they are all in. They, they want to live their lives. They want to use their time and their talent and their resources, whatever they have to this end, to see God's kingdom come more fully. I think they're passionate about being led and empowered and filled by God, through, you know, by God's spirit and used and led and directed through their day. They're passionate about that relationship with God that way. And I think they're passionate about compassion, about serving and ministering uh, to the least of these, to the poor, to the needy, to the marginalized around them. And they're passionate about seeing God's kingdom come there as well. So for the next few weeks, I want us to kind of dig in and talk about this whole idea of what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. And we're, talk, we're, we're calling this, uh, this, this series Passionate Christianity. Because again, I think, as we'll see as we go through this series, I think, I think maybe you'll agree with me, right? That this whole idea uh, of we're not talking about some stale religion. We're not something, talking about something you come to where you sit in a chair and then you leave and you live however you want. We're talking passionate Christianity. We're going to be looking at that over the next six weeks. Uh, interestingly enough, I ran across a study this week that was done by George Gallup, where he surveyed 13,000 people from 130 countries, people that used to go to church but don't go to church anymore. And he asked, them, he asked them several questions, but one of the questions he asked them was, what would it take for you to come back to the church? And you want to know what the number one answer is? You want to guess? Passion. They said, they said Passion. Passion in the lives of the members of the church. Passion in the lives of the leaders of the church. I thought that's so interesting. They're looking for the real thing. They're looking for people that are passionate for Jesus. They know enough to say, you know, if this Jesus guy is who he claims to be, if he really is alive, if he really is still transforming and saving and breathing hope and joy and life into people's souls, then it ought to be more than just coming and opening up something and mouthing some words and sitting there with your eyes rolling back in your head for 30 minutes and then walking out the door and living however you want. They're smart enough to know if this Christianity thing is real, then we ought to be, it ought to consume people, right? They ought to be excited about it. You ought to be able to tell in the way people talk, in the way people live, they ought to exude passion for Jesus. They're looking for the real thing. They're looking for disciples. Not just they don't want to come and just sit in a nice service, a nice boring service, and then go on with life. They're looking for passion. So what is passion? Passion, I thought this is interesting as, as a definition, is a great devotion or an intense conviction which fuels or motivates us towards compelling action, right? It's conviction that leads to compelling action. 
remember, uh, and we know what this is, right? I mean, we, we're familiar with passion. I think that makes more sense to us. I, I remember uh, back in college, Tina and I took an art history class together. And I have to tell you, at, when we signed up for this, I had to take it. Uh, it was one of those classes that you had to take uh, something in the arts. And, uh, and I took it, and I just thought, oh, man. Right, art and history. Like I'm like, this is going to be the most boring class I've ever taken. <laughs> I thought this is bad news, and but so we signed up for it. It was like an 8 a.m. class or something like that, which <laughs> I was like, oh. And uh, so we go in. They turn off the lights and they put slides up. I mean, you can imagine a college student. You're going to bed at two or three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> 8 a.m. class. I'm like, no. I have to tell you what. We had a, a teacher by the name of Valerie Hedquist. She was the most passionate person I've ever met about art. And she was, this wasn't just a job for her. She wasn't doing this because this is her job. She loved art. And so, I mean, so she's up there like just like a crazy person. Like she's all over the place. She's sharing this about, now look at this and look at the way the painters did this. And they're like, I mean, she's in her free time. She's going, she's reading books on art in her free time. She's going to museums and looking at art. She's writing books and articles on art. It wasn't just something she did. It's who she was. And as a result, I have to say, she made everybody in the class love art. It's exactly the kind of person that should be teaching an art history class, but probably rarely does, you know what I mean? But it was, it was awesome, it was contagious. And I'm telling you what, that's, that's passion, isn't it? Passion is contagious like that. Some of us aren't passionate about art. There's probably quite a few of us that aren't passionate about art, but we're passionate about other things. Some of us are passionate about our families, and man, we're posting 25 pictures a day to Facebook, and we're all, we're all too quick to, to pull them out and say, look at my kids, look at they did this day and this day and this day. Look at this, this is great. We're excited about it. We just sort of exude joy as we talk about them. Some of us are passionate about sports. Some of us uh, have a little countdown going on when football season starts. I've seen some of these posted to Facebook. Have you seen this? Like, we've passed the halfway point. We're now at 60 days and 30. I mean, there's this like a countdown going. Some of us are passionate about baseball or about basketball. Uh, some of us follow teams and we know the players and we are all in. We wear the jerseys and we get all, uh, we get all crazed up and ready to go because we're passionate about it. We love it. That's passion. We know what this is. And it's similar to the kind of passion that disciples have too. But only instead of being passionate about football or art history or other things, we're, they're passionate about Jesus. They're passionate about becoming like him. Passionate about those that are far from God and, and so on. They're so passionate about those things that it's consuming. It drives their lives, to, their lives towards action. And it's that kind of passionate Christ follower that God calls every one of us to be. Christianity is not meant to be a Sunday morning sport. It's not intended to just be an activity that you do. It's meant to be an all-consuming passion and affair with Christ, so to speak. Something that impacts every part of our lives, every moment of our days. Passionate followers of Christ. It's who he desires you and I to become. It's who we're meant to be. In the time that we've got left this morning, I'm just going to take about 50 different approaches and kind of drive at this whole, the whole foundational piece of this, the whole foundational piece of what it means to be a disciple, and that's passion for Jesus. And I'm just going to, I'm going to share some scriptures. I'm going to share some stories. I'm going to take, like I said, a bunch of different passes, all in an attempt to motivate us, convict us, challenge us, encourage us, whatever, to say, you know what? He needs to be, and and. I mean, he needs to be, for our sakes as well as his, he needs to be 
the number one passion in our life. He, he needs to be the driving force, the, the thing that consumes us more than anything else. And if he's not, something's off base. Something needs to get tweaked in our own lives. All right, so that's kind of where we're going. The first and primary passion in a disciple's life is a passion for Jesus. Remember, uh, I was 18 years old when I um, first came to Christ, and uh, I had been going through a very, very dark season in my life. I'd been suicidal for a while. Uh, there was all kinds of things that were not going well for me. And uh, I can remember, um, met the first Christian, first Christ follower I had ever known in that era, and she, I mean, she exuded life and exuded Jesus like nobody I had ever seen before. And after uh, getting to know her, after her sharing the gospel with me, sharing with me about Jesus over and over and over, after her encouraging me and pointing me back home and all this kind of stuff, I, I can remember kneeling down beside my bed in my dorm room one night and saying, Jesus, I don't, I don't know about any of this stuff, but if that's what it looks like to follow you, if, if, you, if it's really true that you want to come, that you came to save me and you came to rescue me and you came to bring me to life and to resurrect me and to lead me, and if, that's, if that stuff is all true, I'm in. I want to follow you. I want to, I'm all in. And I tell you what, it's the weirdest thing, but I could just, everything changed, right? Even at that moment, I could just sense God's presence. I could feel his love sort of pouring out in my own life. And I came to life so much so that everybody around me could see it, right? I, I mean, I, my life was changing. I was experiencing joy and purpose. Like I, I didn't even know existed before. There was direction. I mean, I, I, I just loved being with him. I would, sometimes I would spend literally dozens of hours a week opening up his book and reading because every time I was opening up his book, it was like he was speaking to me, not just, not just some story that was written 2,000 years ago, but I could, I could sense him speaking and, and directing and leading my life, changing my life. I, it wasn't unusual for me. Uh, pretty often I'd take walks uh, throughout the day just so I could just go and just talk to God and be with him. Uh, we'd, I'd go out by the lake sometimes and just spend time connecting. I just loved being with him. So much so, he was consuming my life so much that I just couldn't shut up about him. <laughs> I just could, I talked to everybody about him. I, and it wasn't something that I was intentionally trying to do. I was just so excited. I thought everybody wanted, I wanted to talk to everybody about this. So I'd go to Christian friends and I'd talk with them about Jesus. And we'd talk about, man, this is what he's doing in my life. And this is what I learned because I was reading stuff. And I was like, I never knew that before. And I was asking questions and we were just, we were talking about Jesus. I was talking with non-Christian friends about Jesus. And I was just sharing about like what he had done in my life. And I was like, man, he wants to do the same in you. If, if you just open up your heart and life to him. It's, uh, we were talking about, I was talking to professors about him. I was in college. I was talking to professors. Most of them uh, got kind of scoffed at me or laughed at or whatever. I, to be honest, I didn't care a bit. Like, I didn't care even a little. I was talking to my family about him so much so that my family thought I was part of a cult <laughs> at first. They're like, what is going on? Like, it's Jesus. It's great. It's great, man. And, uh, and again, it wasn't something that I was trying to do. He was the passion of my life. And so I just kind of came out. I, I came to the conclusion real quick that that's where it was at, right? Like that's where life is at. And I, I wanted all of Jesus there was, right? I wanted all of him that there was. I can remember uh, when it went into ministry a few years later, and I can remember uh, going to a pastor's gathering and thinking, man, this is great. Again, I've been a Christian like, I don't know, three or four years at this time. And uh, 
I thought, this is great. I'm going to get together with these guys who are living their lives full on for Jesus. We're going to get together. We're going to talk about Jesus, and it's going to be great. And uh, I can remember we uh, going to this thing and coming home frustrated because they didn't really talk about Jesus. They just were talking about church or just frustrations or all that other stuff. And I, I can remember thinking, huh, there, what was coming out of their mouth was not as much about Jesus as what I thought. And I was frustrated at the time, uh, you know, probably a little judgmental at the time, if I'm honest, uh, that kind of thing. And yet... Uh, I, think, I think back on that time, I think it's been challenging for me over the years to think, I wonder what things are coming out of my mouth. By the words that I'm saying, by the way that I'm living, could people pick up that I'm more passionate about Jesus than anything else or not? Or do they hear more about football? Or do they hear more about the church? Or do they hear more about my family? Or do they hear more about, and those are all good things. Those are fine, right? But am I... Am I so passionate for Jesus that it's leaking out and oozing out of my life? Our words, friends, are sort of like our calendars, sort of like our checkbooks. They reveal what we're really passionate about. They reveal who or what we worship. Let me just hit the pause button and say, what do your words say? What do your words reveal about what you're most passionate about these days? What do your lives reveal about what the main driving passion of your life really is? Would it be Jesus? Or if we're honest, we say, Jesus doesn't really come out of my mouth that much. I'm mostly passionate about this or this or this or this. Again, not a guilt trip. But what do they reveal? Let's, let's define reality. What do our words reveal about what we're most passionate about? If you're honest, do you talk about Jesus at all except maybe in church? When you're at work, does God ever come up? Now, I know that you can't just freely talk about God all the time depending on your, your work setting. But does it leak out sometimes with your coworkers? Do you find yourself just talking about what God's doing in your life? Do you find yourself sharing at moments? Do you ever feel prompted to pray for somebody at work? Is he just such a regular part of your life that it oozes out of you? Sometimes. Disciples, followers of Jesus are men and women that are, that are passionate for Jesus. And Jesus makes it pretty clear that that's how it's supposed to be. Mark 12, we talk about this from time to time. Somebody's coming, a religious leader's coming and trying to trip, trip up Jesus by asking him, which is the most important law? If, you, if there's one that was most important, one part of the Old Testament that, that people should really take seriously, you know, what, what would it be? And Jesus answers this. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. How many alls are in there? What's the point that he's trying to make? Following Jesus is to be about what? It's an all-in kind of experience, a passionate pursuit, a, a like, God, you're the main thing. You're the only thing. You're the driving force of my life. Disciples are people with a passion for God like that. And it's been the way, uh, that's, it's not just this one instance. It's all the way throughout the pages of Scripture, all the way back in the Old Testament. If you go to Deuteronomy towards the beginning of the Bible, you find one of the Ten Commandments actually deals with this, right? It says, I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must have no other gods but me, right? He's saying, man, life doesn't work if you've got 
passions or gods he uses, right? Gods that are bigger than me. Life works best when I'm the driving force in your life. Don't have any other, don't go after any of those other things. Why? Because I'm the God that rescues. I'm the God that saves you. I'm the God that directs you. I'm the God that, that has what you need. So would you follow me? Would you put me first, he says. The early church got this. Listen to how it's described in Acts 2. It says, uh, they, the early church, those, the, those early disciples, those early followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Next slide. Every day, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, Celebrating communion, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Every day, it says, they met together. Every day they were meeting, they were worshiping, they were praying, they were devoted to helping the poor, they were devoted to God's word, to sharing Christ with others. They didn't do it because they had to, they did it because they thought there was nothing better than Jesus. Yeah. Ah, oh, I think I'll have to skip that. Um, uh, yeah, it was the passion of their lives. True disciples are passionate about Jesus. Psalms are filled with this kind of thing too. Let me, let me share this one. Uh, Psalms are filled with these kind of passionate cries of God's people longing for him, just saying, man, I'm, I want you more than anything. Listen to this, Psalm 63 says this, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I've seen you in, this, in your sanctuary and have beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. Can you hear passion there? By the way, I, th- I think it's interesting. He's saying, God, you are my God. I seek, I seek you. I, I thirst for you. I have experienced your love. And what does he say? Uh, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. See that? He's saying, it's going to leak out. My lips. What, what's, what I have experienced from you, it will be heard by the world around me as I praise you, as I sing and rejoice and tell of your greatness, of your power. Man, there's passion there. I need you more than anything, Jesus. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3. He says, uh, whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss compared to how great it is to know Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, he says. I consider them trash that I may gain Christ. Everything else in life in comparison, he says, is like trash compared to knowing Christ because, I, because he is everything. He is the one my soul and my heart loves and needs. He's everything to me. Part of our worship team uh, this week went up to a uh, uh, Chicago area to uh, a night of worship with uh, Bethel. And uh, it was awesome. We had a great time. It was like three plus hours or something of uh, worship. There's, I don't know, a few thousand people. He doesn't have any idea. I don't know. A few thousand people maybe that were there. And one of, we were processing on the way home. And one of the things we were talking about is we were saying how 
cool it was to be in a room like that where pe- people were just passionately and full on worshiping God, right? They were all in. There's like, you know, I don't know, a thousand hands raised, like, and just people singing at their top of their lungs. Not because, wow, this is great music, because that was a heck of a little guitar lick. Not because they need that stuff. These are people that came hungry to meet with the living God. They were starving. And, and, you could just sense God's presence there. Somebody uh, in, in the car on the way home actually said, man, I just didn't want to leave. And I get that, right? I get that. I, I think this is common. When Christ is your passion, man, you just want more and more and more of him. You get a little taste and you're like, man, I just, I want to know him more. I want to see him better. I want to, I want to follow him more. It's the heart of a disciple, the heart of somebody that has a passion for Jesus. And I, I get that. It reminded me of the, uh, the story uh, in the Gospels in, in Matthew 17 where uh, Jesus takes uh, a few of his disciples up on top of a mountainside uh, and it says that he is uh, transfigured, right? He's transformed before them. His glory is seen. He's glowing. And he meets with uh, Moses and Elijah. He's having a little powwow up on the mountain. And Peter responds and he says this, Lord, it's good for us to be here. <laughs> if you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. You know what he's saying? He's saying, man, this is so good. He got a glimpse of how great Jesus was, of his glory, of his, of his amazing presence and his beauty and his power. And he said, you know what? Let's put up shelters and we'll stay here forever. I never want to leave, he's saying. Right? That's sort of the heart behind a passionate follower of Jesus. I just want to be with him more than anything else. All right. So I told you I'm going to come at this from a bunch of different ways. I even left out some stories, which is too bad because they were good ones. <laughs> but another time. But here's, here's the question. Right? This is the only question I want to ask today is, are you this kind of passionate follower of Jesus? If you're honest, are you saying, man, what gets shared with my lips, what gets seen with my lives, what is what I feel in my heart is I want him more than anything. Is, is Jesus is everything. Everything else in life is crap in comparison to how great it is to know Christ. It's rubbish. It's trash. Is that your heart? Is your heart so consumed with love for him, so desirous of, of his presence and of his, of his greatness and his plans and his power and his presence and all that stuff? Is your heart so set on him that it just leaks out of your lips, that it leaks out of your lives, that other people can see it? Is he the primary passion of your life or not? you take just a second. I want you in your own mind. You don't have to say it out loud. I'm not going to have you raise your hands or anything. Uh, but if you had to rate yourself, let's say one to 10 on, you know, on your passion level for Jesus. And one is, no, I'm not really passionate about him at all. I'm, to be honest, I'm passionate about myself. I'm passionate about other things, but not really so much him. 10 being, oh yeah, I've got one foot already in heaven. <laughs> I love to worship him all the, like he's everything to me. And you can't say five, okay? Because everybody always chickens out and says five, so you don't have to, like, so you don't have to really think about it. So you gotta go one way or the other, four or six, like if you're in the middle. But how, how would you rate your passion levels for Jesus these days? If you're honest, would you say, I'm on the lower half, I'm down here someplace? If so, can I just say, and this isn't, the whole point of today isn't to like guilt you up or to make you feel better so you gotta work harder or earn. No, 
the, the point of today is just for us to get an honest look at where we're at and where our hearts are and where our relationship with Jesus is and to say, you know what, are there some course corrections maybe that are needed? If we find ourselves down here or even maybe on the six or seven side, but we want to be further in that direction, can I just encourage you and say, man, maybe start investing a little bit more this week in your relationship with God. James uh, puts it this way. I'll share a couple scriptures real quick. James puts it this way. He says, uh, come near to God and he will come near to you. It's a promise. When we come near to God, he's waiting. He's waiting. Listen to this one. Uh, Psalm 34, 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Taste and see. Come and experience for yourself, it's saying. It's weird, but you want to know how we foster more passion in our lives? It comes from direct experience with him. The more we taste him, the more we see that he is good, the more we draw near and to him and he comes near to us, the more we're like, oh man, I never want to leave. <laughs> this is the good stuff. So maybe this week, we just spend a little time opening up his book. We just start reading maybe through the Gospels, Matthew or Mark or Luke or John. We just start reading through and get to know this Jesus guy a little bit more. Or maybe you want to read through some of the Psalms, which like that one that I shared, uh, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul longs for you. My body thirsts for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I mean, I thirst for you like somebody that's, that's, that's dying of thirst in the desert. Right? There's, there's tons of psalms like that. So maybe you want to read through that. And as you do, just don't look for just the informational story. Look for God in the pages. Let it, let it sort of uh, uh, stir up your own soul and say, yeah, God, I want that to be true of me. I want to long for you like that. I want to know you like that. When Jesus says, uh, like in John, he says, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Let that sort of stir you up and say, Jesus, I want, I'm thirsty. Would you come and would you fill me like that? I want to know you. Would you, would you personalize it like that? Maybe, maybe some of us need to just take some time and we need to just drop to our knees and spend some time praying this week. And yes, pray about the things that are going on in your world. He tells us to. He delights in it. But then when we're done, turn our eyes Godward and just close your mouth for a minute and just listen and set your eyes on him and invite him to come and fill you and speak to you and lead you Man, you never, he'll fill you. Oh, never know what God's going to do in those moments. Maybe you want to, something that's been helpful to me, a discipline over the years, has been fasting. Uh, fasting can be all kinds of things, but, you know, the traditional one is you take out food and you put in Jesus, right, Where, wherever those things are. So if you're going to fast, maybe you do a partial fast, maybe you fast a meal, you fast a whatever, uh, and the time that you usually spend eating or you usually spend preparing, instead you spend that time sort of, turning Godward and praying or reading his, his, uh, his word or something like that. But, but I'll tell you what, I think these days, I mean, that kind of fasting is good. It's great. God does good stuff in the midst of it. These days, there are other things that may even be more effective. Maybe you take out Netflix, right? Maybe you take out Facebook. And the time that you'd usually spend doing that for a day or two or three or five, put in instead a pursuit of God. Put in instead a hunger for him, opening up his book, praying, looking, talking to him, going for a walk with him, whatever, and just fostering that passion and that relationship with Jesus. You with me? It doesn't have to be hard. This isn't a guilt trip kind of thing, but the living God wants to do life with you. He's desirous, more desirous than we are. He's drawing us. He's speaking. He's drawing. 
And the question is, would you respond this week? As we start uh, kind of forming this picture of what it means to live our lives as disciples, it all begins here. This is the foundation for everything. If you miss this, nothing else we talk about matters. But it begins with a passion for Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Father God, would you just foster that in us? Lord, forgive us for ways that we have turned to other passions, turned to other gods, ways that we have gone after less worthy things and set our hearts and our focus and everything else on all kinds of other things except you. God, would you forgive us? Would you wash us? Would you cleanse us? And would you draw us back home to you? God, I pray in this space today, but also as we leave from here, that you would just draw us home, that you would be fostering in us a heart that is passionate for you, a heart that loves you with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Lord, would you, would you raise up here at Ignite? Would you raise up here in us, in me, in each one here, God? disciples, people that more than anything else are passionate for you, that recognize that you are better than anything else that our hearts desire, our eyes see. Even this week as we go through it, God, would you, would you constantly just remind us and keep drawing our eyes and our hearts back home, back to you. We need you so much. God, I pray for each one here that it wouldn't, we wouldn't just hear words or message or whatever, but I pray that this morning that they could hear you calling them home and that we as a church would just respond and go running home. How we need you. We love you. We lift up these things in the name of Jesus.